Welcome to the Realized Gains Podcast, a guide to real estate investing. Join our co-hosts, Jordan Lee and Stephen Tran, as we interview a diverse group of real estate investors, both amateur and professional. Our goal is to help you understand that anyone can invest in real estate. Tune in to hear creative strategies and learn from both our mistakes and our successes. You can find us where you love to listen to podcasts, on YouTube, or at jordanleemortgage.com. Why is real estate key to having wealth? He put it very simple. I remember he's explaining this when he was still you know, like doing the land developing back in Vietnam. He said that population is always growing, but this is him explaining to, uh, I think I was 12 back then, yep. 12, 13. That's good. Yeah. So he's trying to like dumb it down so yep. I can understand, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we have, we only have one earth. So we only have, so Ho Chi Minh City is where we live, right? It's not going to expand. The, right. the land is just going to be there. So, yep. But we just have more people. Mm-hmm. So ev- everyone we're trying to fight for a place to live. So getting, so which means that he trying to teach me about appreciation assets and then that's how I realized that okay so people the number one thing that they need to do is you know housing place to live so yeah I think that's kind of put very in brand in my mind that that's really important for tuning in to the Realized Gains podcast. I'm your co-host, Jordan Lee, and I invest in single-family homes, and I'm a mortgage lender that's licensed in about nine states. Uh, On today's show, we are interviewing an insurance um, agent and investor named Kwa Tran. Uh, It's a super interesting interview. He talks about his immigration story and how he got started in business and entrepreneurship here, um, and then explains a little bit about how he was able to uh, invest in real estate by purchasing primaries as well as for purchasing them as investment properties. So if you're looking to get started as an investor as a, in your side hustle, this is a good one for you. Hey everyone, thanks so much for tuning in to the Realized Gains podcast. My name is Jordan Lee, I'm your co-host and I'm here with Alex Fan, who is going to be... Alex, you want to introduce yourself real quick? <laughs> hey everyone, great to see you again. Uh, my name is Alex Van. I'm subbing for Stephen Tran today. He's out representing us in Washington, D.C. And uh, I'm a real estate agent with Keller Williams, uh, small, middle size investor, you know. Anyways, and like, we're here with Kwa Tran. Yeah. Hey, Kwa, you want to just um, take a moment to give us a quick introduction of yourself, kind of your background and your story and, and how you got to where you are? Okay. So hi everyone, this is Quad Train with Country Financial. Um, I'm the insurance agent with Countries for about six years, starting um, in 2017. And since then, um, you know. Um, what were you doing? So you, was this your first career? Or? Oh yeah, so I moved here from Vietnam to the US in 2014. And um, before that I was a uh, sales, um, direct sales to do telecommunication for CenturyLink. 
So oh, okay. I did that for two years. Okay, okay. So you, when you moved here, you started working at for CenturyLink. Yeah. So when I moved here, um, could you speak English at the time? I have a very thick accent. So. <laughs> oh. Yeah. So um, I, I do. I do have a uh, Australian university degree from RMIT. So um, so I do know how to read, write, and, and you know speak, but. It is a, a very thick accent. Oh, you yeah. went to school in Australia, or are you? No, just did so they remote? have um, so RMIT, which is stands for Royal Melbourne Institute of Technology. Um, they have a, uh, I think they are the first one that have their campus outside of Melbourne. It's in um, uh, South Saigon, and it's hundred um, percent foreign direct investment. Okay. So yeah, so I was one of the first generations that actually going through that school. Um, yeah. Oh, newer school. Yeah, newer school. Yeah, okay. for sure. Interesting. And and so you came over, and what what brought you over? So I got um, a family sponsor from my um, grand grandmom, uh, grandmother, and she sponsored all of us over. It took her about twelve years, um, twelve fifteen years, and she was already um, in the U.S. before that. So she's just waiting to get her. Um, U.S. passport, become a U.S. citizen, and then she can sponsor. So, oh, wow. yeah, so I, I didn't expect that I will be living in the U.S. So it wasn't your long-term plan to do no. that? It just kind of came up? Yeah, so I still remember in 2014, um, I'm, I'm in my second degree. I studied law to become an uh, international trade lawyer. Mm. Um, and then I got a letter from U.S. consulate saying, like, hey, your interview is up. So, wow. yeah. yeah. Golden <laughs> ticket call, huh? I mean, it's uh, it's not an easy way at the beginning because I'm over 21 at that point mm. and they just left me out from the interview and they and and I was like, "Oh, so my parents and my brother can go, but I can't." Oh, wow. So, I have to do an appeal and say like, "Hey, when you approve us, like I'm below 21 and I'm single, I don't have kid." So, Kind of like I'm going in the back door mm-hmm. to to do an interview with them. Wow. Yeah. What were your tell me? What were your feelings at that point? Was it like excitement oh. or was it? You know? It's mixed feelings for sure. I've seen my grandma um, quite a lot. Uh, she come back to Vietnam and maybe once a year or maybe twice a year mm-hmm. to just stay away from the cold here. So I have a connection with her, um, but I'm never thinking that I will live in the U.S. one day. So it's mixed feeling for sure. Um, yeah, but I was so excited. Yeah. Well, and plus, I mean, you, you had been studying English, but you hadn't been studying it with the intent on using it as your main language, right? Yes, exactly. So um, funny things is um, when I got the, the, the letter, I worked for a Japanese company, so I was going back and forth between that and Japan a lot. And I'm actually learning Japanese on the side as well. Mm. But now it's been faded. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, so uh, yeah, moved here. And I think the first first skill that I want to learn is sales. I'm a very introvert person. Huh. So, uh, wow. I'm so not was, like this and then, at all. And what made you choose sales? Like, why did you um, pick that of all things? So I think, um, so my major in uh, university is uh, entrepreneurship. Okay. And I feel like the number one skill for any entrepreneurs is you need to know how to sell so you can attract business, mm-hmm. sell your, your business and stuff like that. 
Yeah, I mean, it's just not the like the typical first generation immigrant. You don't think yeah. of Asian immigrant. You don't think of being like, oh, I'm just gonna go into sales. You know, it's like exactly attorney, whatever, physician, engineer. I used to really into computer, mm -hmm. computer science. Yeah, I, I'm, yeah. I'm I'm into like coding and stuff like uh -huh. that. So kind of like a little background, just like Steven. But uh, my dad, I think he's the one that kind of make me realize. Um, he said the only way that you can be wealthy if you have to work with people mm. and sales is the number one skill okay yeah and what what did your dad do um so my dad he's worked for an import export company okay he worked his way off like i think he's starting as a driver um and in that um, uh, company and then he's taken his um, degree in um, foreign trade. So foreign trade university is one of the prestigious uh, university in Vietnam back then. So he got that degree, he's working his way up. I think his last position before he resigned was a uh, director of a wood making company that they make like wood furniture and uh, uh, export it to the US. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, okay. but he's, he's in real estate before as well. Yeah. Oh, okay. He was in, involved in real estate? Somewhere? Yeah, yeah. So import and export company, that company was kind of like doing uh, big construction, doing like condos, high-rise condos. It's very common in Vietnam. Um, and so they just uh, buy lands and then trying to develop that and sell it to the public. Yeah, so he oh, okay. was in that a little bit and then, yeah. Hmm. Wow. And so tell me, how long was the process from when you got the call, the interview, and then... How, many, how much longer till you were in the United States? So I got a letter in January 2014, and uh, I got here October. I think the interview was in May or June. I don't remember exactly, but I'm, I'm here in October. And in that interview, what did you have to do to, like, pass or whatever? It's quite funny. <laughs> um, we, re we prepare a lot of paperwork showing the relationship between my dad and my oh, Okay, grandma. so you had to prove your familial relationship. Yeah, and then showing letters going all the way back and why that we want to move and, and stuff like that. And I still remember we was waiting for so long. And when we actually go into the window that the, uh, the, the U.S. Um, officer who was trying to interview us, I think he asked like maybe three questions. <laughs> oh, yeah. so you were way over prepared. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm still. I, if I think about that time, I'm still shocked because like we're so prepared and we even saying like, hey, we don't need translator. I can translate for my dad and stuff like that, right? But um, on the other window, there was a U.S. officers and then I think another Vietnamese officers that they translate. That helps to translate. Yeah. Oh, wow. Do you remember yeah. the three questions? I do remember one question, though. Um, he asked me, what do you want to do when you move there? Mm. And I said, that, like, I have my um, university degree already, so maybe an MBA. But, mm. yeah, I didn't follow that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Interesting. They want to know what your path might look like, huh? I know. I think if we live in a parallel universe, am I still live in Vietnam? I may be ending up an a international trade lawyer. Okay. Yeah. Oh. So follow my, 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 my mom's footsteps. Okay. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, so, and then, so two, you, you get moved here um, two years working at CenturyLink. Yes. And then well, at what point did you decide to transition into insurance? Okay, so um, 
I think this is kind of like a uh, working with Centrelink is to me consider is the hardest job I ever had. Were you basically cold calling people? No, or were I was you servicing. Are you a door knocking? Okay. Yeah. Uh, straight 100% commission. Oh, 100% yeah. commission too. <laughs> yes, yes. Oof. And um, how many doors did you knock a day? Um, so we all have a list of doors that uh -huh. we can knock to. I think every day it's about 50 doors. 50 doors. And um, what would be your rough conversion rate? Um, so as you know, it's just tracing back to sales. It's all about numbers. Right. The more people you talk to, yep. the more sales you get. So our rate is about 10 to 15% conversion, uh, okay. 10 to 12. 10 okay, to 12. so you, of the so 15, every hundred you, you people convert like five or six yeah. customers, yeah. Yeah, so we're trying to talk to at least um, maybe 20 people, mm -hmm. and then out of 20, we're trying to get at least 10 presentation in, mm -hmm. and then hoping we can get two to five sales at the end of the day. I see. Yeah. Wow. So it's all about numbers. So that's how I learned that. Okay. And that was enough to get by though. Yes. I think, um, so with, with CenturyLink is you have to be good at sales, right? And then you have to good at training and then you have to recruit people into your sales team. Mm -hmm. And when you, your sales team hit a certain production, you will allow to be like your own territory manager. Oh, interesting. So open like an office, work there, and bring your team over and just do that by yourself. Hmm. So that's a path that I think I can be my own boss. So that's why I'm trying to follow it and then, you know, try to learn the skill set along the way. I feel like those two years is really hard. Like we, I've been out in the blizzard and still knocking on doors. Yep. Yeah, on 100 degrees uh, days, still knocking on doors. That teach me like um, persistence and perseverance for mm -hmm. sure yeah let me ask since you were you know uh, like you said it's the toughest job going door knocking right yeah. I'm paralleling that to my career in real estate so why and then your dad had it so why not real estate why insurance um, and then yes yeah, so good question so when I trying to um, switch my uh, job I was thinking um, I don't have enough money. So I think that is the, the biggest thing that kind of like preventing me getting into real estate that mm. I don't understand. So you knew that. you wanted to invest in real estate already? Yes, though. yes. Okay. Um, I know that in order for me to be wealthier, like wealthy, that I need to own real estate. Um, and he, my dad, because of the language barrier, he could not becoming whatever, he just give us an opportunity to be here. Mm. Um, but he keeps saying that, like, hey, I know that this is the way that we can develop some wealth and maybe generational wealth. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm trying to get into insurance because with my company, we have two paths, become an insurance agent. And then after um, the certain years, you can get a financial license and become a financial advisor. Mm. And I want to be good at um, how to deal with money because as you guys know, with Asian culture, money is kind of like a taboo topic, subject, right? With a lot of people, they teach you to like, okay, you have to go in school, be a good student, mm -hmm. pass the, the test, straight A's, whatever, mm -hmm. and then trying to go into a company, being a good employee, yep. paying the bills, right? So never actually talking about money. And that's why I want to be 
you know, learning about money and so I can be better at it because I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Can I ask you, uh, why do you believe, and your dad believe, why, why is real estate a key to having wealth? He put it very simple. I remember he's explaining this when he was still, you know, like doing the land developing back in Vietnam. He said that population is always growing, but this is him explaining to, uh, I think I was 12 back then, yep. 12, 13. That's good. Yeah, so he's trying to like dumb it down so yep. I can understand, right? Mm -hmm. um, we have, we only have one earth, so we only have, so Ho Chi Minh City is where we live, right? It's not gonna expanding. The, right. the land is just gonna be there, so, yep. but we just have more people. Mm -hmm. So ev everyone we're trying to fight for a place to live. So getting, so which means that he trying to teach me about appreciation assets. And then that's when I realized that, okay, so people, the number one thing that they need to do is, you know, housing, place to live. So, yeah, I think that's kind of like put very in brain in my mind that that's really important. But just because you have a house, mm -hmm. I mean, do you, does that make you wealthy? No, right? Oh. So... It's then, but then you the second part, right, which is the generational, right? mm -hmm. being able to pass that down, that asset to uh, a future family member or a child or someone in your family and having them benefit from owning the house and appreciation and stuff, right? Yeah. So back in Vietnam, we didn't own rental properties. So I didn't learn that until I moved here, mm. that, you know, rental properties and um, just buying property and passing that over to your your kids will be a generational wealth. So I learned that here. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. And go, getting back into the insurance world, so mm -hmm. you're you're. Did you like know somebody in the insurance world? Is that how you got hooked up, or did um, you just? How, how did you? Find I think the... I kind of like fell into it. Okay. Um, like I said, I want to learn more about the finance, and with my company right now, they offer an option for me to step into that world mm -hmm. through insurance um, because um, it's all about developing your uh, pipelines, n n nurturing your clients, and taking care of their their financial needs, mm. and that's including insurance. Um, so I think I kind of like fell into it, and I've, I. Fell in love with it um, because I feel like um, the more I doing, um, you know, do my work and learning about more insurance, I feel like the world is basically it's just surviving right now based on insurance and everything's what we touch and do. It needs to have insurance there, so otherwise people are gonna, you know go wild and just do whatever they want, right? So <laughs> they can just drive a car without insurance and hit some someone, yeah. So so I think, I feel like that's the, the beauty of insurance, mm. yeah. And you started, what, in insurance six years ago, did you say? Yeah, 2017. Oh, 2017, okay. Was that six years? Yeah, yeah. yeah, kind of one thing that's always attracted me to insurance is that you can kind of build up a residual book um, at what point in insurance did you get feel like you were at the point where you had a book that was enough to, you know, at least yes. pay the bills? Yes. So, yeah, another way that it's attracted me to insurance is the ability to be my own boss. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like um, for me, in order to be wealthy or passing that generation wealth to my kid, is I have to be my own boss, mm -hmm. right? So set up my own schedule, do whatever I want. I know that I'm a self-motivator. 
I just need a guide or a path to go through. And residual income is, as a lot of people from my industry say, it's the eighth wonder of the world, right? <laughs> so as long as you to maintaining your book, talking to people, making sure that, you know, you satisfying their needs, they're willing to believe with you and you kind of like just getting a result from it. Um, what was your question? I, I was curious about like, at what point were you like, okay, I'm gonna make oh, it in insurance. Oh, oh, I, okay. I have enough of a residual because yeah. it's still commission based, right? It is. Yes, it you is still need to produce a certain amount of sales. But at some point, you have a pipeline that's big enough that will kind of just take I care see, of your bills, yes, right? So as long as you, like you said, nurture it and take mm -hmm. care of your clients. I feel like with country, it's kind of different from other insurance companies. Is when we started, they start with a base because you don't have any uh, clients in your right. book, right? So you need some time to build that up. And while you're doing that, they give you a salary so you can basically sustain, mm -hmm. right? With other company, they just go in, they either throw you a book, which is you don't know how to do your job yet, right? right. Let alone the serving these people. So for me, at that point, I'm considering between the couple of carriers back then, but I consider a country because I feel like I can learn the craft mm. before I can actually taking care of people. So in in, in that path, um, I think I hit um, the point where I feel like my pipelines, my book of business is big enough to sustain me is around year five. You're, so okay. Not too far away. So it took, it took a little right. bit of time, yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I guess for people listening, you know, uh, you know, you, you sell somebody, uh, you, or I would say you help somebody obtain an insurance policy. Uh, is there a commission up front with that sale? And then, then the ongoing residual with the renewal. Every time they renew, yeah, we got a certain percentage. Okay. Yeah. Which is typically on an annual basis or? On the annual basis. Semi-annual basis. Okay. On the home is annual basis and on the car is uh, semi-annual. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And is that kind of your focus is just home and auto at this point? No, I was doing a life insurance and also a commercial insurance as well. Okay. Yeah. Commercial insurance, is, I think they are easy to deal with, but you you need to get the basics down, which is the auto and the home first. Okay. Yeah, commercial is more moving pieces and need to require a lot of people to actually get in, do a quote and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, you need to get the basics down first and then you can move over to commercial. Yeah. Let's talk about real estate now. Tell us, you know, okay. what, what's uh, what's your area of, of expertise in real estate investment? <laughs> I feel like um, my portfolio is... Yeah, how did you get started? Okay, how did I get started? I think the first is uh, talking about my f first house that I bought here. I think it was, was 2018. Okay. Um, literally, it's a, at like one year mark like my first year anniversary with country okay and that's when i was be able to finance and get my own house mm. um so bought that one back in 2018 i think at that time it's still a seller market so we we got lucky we put an offers in the house was back on the market so i think they fell finance mm. for the first buyer mm -hmm for whatever reason so it's back on the market and we jump in right away and she got three offers um, but she's ending up picking us um, we didn't do any personal letters or whatever but I think 
she's just seeing that with our financial situation, it's a little bit strong. At that time, I tried to buy it as my primary, so I put a lot, I think 20% down. So a strong offer, so that's why she took it. And then um, the second, which is my rental right now, I bought it in 2020. And then every, I think every year we bought average around two property per year. Oh, okay. Yeah. Awesome. So the first home you bought, you still live in it? No, that one has been rented out. So you converted that to rent. Yeah. So, so you're in 2018. 2018. Or 2020, excuse me. You bought your second home and moved into that home and um, converted your first to a rental? No, I think I moved out from my prime uh, from from my first home back in twenty one. Okay. Yeah. So that is three three property after like two property after. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Great. Yeah. So, yeah. and then um, I think for for me, I just just doing the the basic way. When I'm not really like going and finding off market deals, I'm just trying. Wait, no, I did. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so the second property, we bought it off market through a, um, sh he just put an ad on a, a Vietnamese newspaper mm. and saying like, hey, um, we have this house for sale. And it's a, it's a coincidence because when we were looking for our first property, we walked through that house. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And then... We know that that's how it was built good, and it's recently remodeled. It's a almost a two, 100 years old house, but it's fully remodeled. And um, we didn't end up getting that because we didn't agree, agree on the terms, so we just moved on to uh, my, my first house. But then I think it feels like destiny, you know, like when I came back. Yeah, yeah. it came back, and, and we talked directly to the seller. Um, they didn't want to go through a uh, market or the hassle of going up the market because they have tenants in there already. Mm. So we worked out the deal. A perfect setup for an investment property then. Yes, yeah, so we worked out the deal, and I think the tenants that I inherit is still living there in oh, that nice. property. Yeah. I'm sure you've increased their rent by now. Yeah, so it's a lot. Um, I think when I got, I inherit them, their rent is uh, 2000 mm -hmm. and right now it's 2500 Oh, yeah. okay. Awesome. And so have you, yeah, so you've gotten, if, how many rentals did you say you know? Um, it's four right now. And they're all single family? No, it's, I have a duplex. Oh, one's a duplex, okay. Yeah. So and if you had please. Uh, three single family, one duplex. Okay. Yeah. And stability-wise, have you had been able to keep renters in there the whole time? Have you had yes. major vacancies or? N n knock on wood, right? So I still have a pretty good, solid tenants right now. Mm -hmm. um, one is Section Eight, so she's just getting paid through um, the uh, Home Forward Agency. Yeah, you just um, get a direct deposit. Yeah, county, we right? just got Every direct month. deposit. Yeah. So, and she's actually taking taking care of the property pretty good. Um, we do inspection, I think, once uh, once a year. Mm. And yeah, the, co the house is for, you know, it's been really good condition. And then um, there's a tenant in my duplex right now. We're going to a turnover, the first turnover, and maybe it's the second turnover that I, I going through. So everything, it's, it's, uh, it's still on process. We're doing the process of finding tenants and trying to screen them and stuff like that and talking to them. But uh, so far, so good. We got a um, couple applicants, a uh, couple ap um, applications in. Mm. Yeah, so. 
are you managing yourself? Or do you yeah, so me and my, my wife, we managed um, our properties. Uh, we're trying to hit 10, and then after that, we're trying to move them over to property management company because I feel, I feel like at that time, dealing with nine tenants or 10, 10 tenants will be too much. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Nice, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is a lot. Yeah. And, and but you haven't had any trouble with any of your tenants so far. Um, we do have a situation where a couple got separated. Oh, okay. Um, so they had a hard time paying rent or something like that. Um, they. So I think this is kind of like the best scenario that happened to me. I feel like when that happened, they either not paying rent or there was some, you know, um, conflicts between husband and wife and they ending up, you know, trashing the place and whatever. Mm. But yeah, there was, it's a very peaceful separation. Um, wife move out, husband still live in the house. They still fight for custody for kids, but um, being on time, there's nothing wrong with, with that, oh. yeah. Do you have a specific goal for your investment, like where, where you want to end up? Yeah, so I feel like at first we starting out to do, trying to be positive $500 per door. Per door. Yeah, okay. so and then we're trying to... Have you been able to hit that all of them? All of them. Oh, wow. Yeah. All of them. I think thanks to very low interest rate back in yeah. 2021. Um, so, yeah, all of them has been positive cash flow. And we're trying to bring our passive income up to 10K. Mm. I feel like that's enough, more than enough to cover for our expenses. And we don't have to worry about bills anymore. I right. think that's our goal. Yeah. Enough to get by. Yeah. yeah, enough to get by. Yeah. So still doing my job and still have passive income on the side, so not feeling pressure while doing work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, do you? Um, I know you said you got one off-market deal, mm -hmm. the rest of it on market. So what's your spin strategy? How, how do you identify what's a good property to buy and and gonna get you that cash flow? Yeah. So uh, I think that's the f uh, the property that I bought off-market, and then. Um, we bought another one with Tony, also off market because it's a new built, uh, new construction. It's mm -hmm. not even hit the market, but we saw the house next door. It's when pending while we walk through it, and then we saw another house um, down the street, and we just decided, okay, just go with it. And yeah, we we got at the the listing price. We didn't have to go through bidding war or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so I feel like. That house was built. Uh, w we bought it in 2021, and uh, I used um, Jordan for for that finance. Mm. And um, yeah, I feel like it's a very smooth transaction. Oh, that one, yeah. yeah. That was the. Uh, didn't that have like a tax exemption? Uh, yeah, tax yeah, yeah. Abatement. Tax exemption. Tax abatement. Yeah, yeah. tax abatement. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So um, going back to, w w I'm trying to understand like what's your questions and tr trying to see how well, do I answer it correctly. Yeah, I think. Well, I. Um, my question was just like, how do you decide a property is going to be, mm -hmm. you know, a worthwhile investment? I see, I see. So right now, most of my properties is in southeast or on the east side of Portland. Mm -hmm. um, when I first moved here, I moved to that area because my family lived there. Mm -hmm. I consider that area is called an immigrant town. 
because um, we have a lot of immigrants and um, are very robust, I feel like, um, in terms of rental properties because um, people, when they move there, first of all, they just wanted to find a house to live and trying to find a good job and kind of like just starting their life here in the U.S. And I was able to provide that property to them, I feel like. And... Um, yeah, so most of my properties are on the east side, and it's, it's been fully rented out. And mm. I'm starting to looking for other places now after I got four properties in the east side. So kind of more important to you than just the numbers is the area. I feel like, yes. So and numbers, does it, we too have to run numbers. Of course, it has to yeah. meet some yeah. minimum threshold, but yeah, you're more, exactly. most concerned about the area because you know it's going to appreciate and rent out while there. Yeah, so if we put it in the terms, I think that's kind of like a, a B neighborhood. Okay. Um, it's not an A neighborhood for sure. It's not a C. When, when I'm trying to look for property, I'm trying to look for property in some B neighborhood. So it's not like very rundown neighborhood. It's still decent. They still have a very low uh, renter versus homeowners ratio. Mm-hmm. When to go there, you know, have to take look, make sure that you know they're taking care of their house, the surroundings, and stuff like that, and have to be in good school. Because I'm trying to put my myself in their shoes. Like if they rent my house, like they probably have family, they probably have kids, right? So they probably want to have a safe environment for their kids to go to school not too good that it's unaffordable for them to rent the house so i think east side is the uh, the best area for like for those type of families yeah tell us uh i want to switch gears a little bit and go back to your you know one of your areas of expertise which is kind of um you know well insurance and risk you know so what are factors um well not maybe factors i guess just give us some general tips for people when they're looking to buy investment property. What advice do you give people about insurance products? Um, you know, certain riders that they maybe don't consider. Oh. You know, yeah, I'd love to hear like, like what some of the claims maybe that you yeah. see for your yeah. clients that are like, <laughs> exactly. oh man, like mm-hmm. there's something that come up come up kind of regularly that if they would have done this. Then oh yeah, 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 for sure. Okay, so let's talk about insurance real quick. I feel like insurance to a lot of people it's just an expense that they need to do right so it's right like, okay. it's always like you're never going to be the insurance companies to just get right. the cheapest policy possible yeah so yeah often the mentality right yeah so the more I, I i'm in this job i realize that you need to have a good insurance policy and also good insurance agents mm-hmm. so they can actually explain to you what type of coverage that they that you need um for for my practice uh i'm always trying to you know, like sit people down, talk to them about the big picture. So, for example, I work with a lot of real estate investors that they have multiple properties. The problem that they have is just like you said, right? So whatever carriers that is the cheapest, they would just go with them, right? So if they have 10 properties, they would usually have 10 different carriers, right? Oh. Yeah, and um, the problem is if it's the cheapest, which means most of the time, they have a very low coverage, right? And if they all put that under their personal name, one got sued, they're trying to go after the, whole, the, the other nine. And you don't want to put your clients through that, right? Mm. So I'm trying to put out like a, uh, an insurance plan for, especially for real estate investors. I, as I told them, I'm like, hey, put everything under one roof of company. I don't know 
whatever agents that you want to work with, but this is my recommendation. Put everything under one roof so they know exactly what type of coverage of each property is, and then they will give an umbrella on top of it. Because if you have 10 different carriers, they don't talk to each other, and you will start to have gap and exposures that you don't want to. You know, like t insurance is something that you want to plan ahead, and then when, you know, disaster happen, you just deal with it instead of disaster happens and then holy sh you know, holy smoke, um, I yeah. don't have the coverage for this house and why do I not you know, all of that questions you should have that conversation before it happens. Right. Yeah, I've seen some of those videos of experiences people have had since you know, fires have been more common recently. It is. Talk to us about um, different insurance levels and, and, and being able to get you know, your home rebuilt to the, the exact standard that it was versus a oh. substandard based on your policy? Yeah, yeah, good good question. So, so my recommendation is make sure that you get in touch with your agents or your agents should be getting in touch with you at least once a year. Mm -hmm. And then talking about the dwelling um, replacement cost. The dwelling replacement cost. Yeah, and then so as you know, 20 and 21, um, we have a huge um, skyrocket lumber price, right? right? That leads to cost to replace a house that's also skyrocket and also labor crisis. So mm -hmm. there's so many factors that, that factors in, right? So that's why a so lot- So if you had your 2018 policy, you it's should based on 2018 it. lumber prices. Yes. And based on labor yeah so your replacement cost then might not be what it needs to be and if your house burned down you're, you have that old coverage you yeah. might need to revisit re so that different company they have different rate, co uh, rate uh, code um, so for us we do have um, special rate for new built or house at less than 30 years old and then if it's more than 30 years old, we have a different rate. So we usually have a 120% cap on it, so which is kind of like an inflation guard. Mm -hmm. And then if it's a new build, um, we usually will we'll have an unlimited replacement cost. I think we are the one of the rare company to actually oh, offer that. So new construction, no matter, no matter what the cost is, yes, if we your still home burns down the next X number, how many years? It's, it's until, I think if once you got that, like it's you grandfather in. Okay, so yeah. your home had your home for thirty years. Yeah, burns down completely. You you get to rebuild it at the same specs and standards that at it was that originally point, built. Yeah, yeah at um, that point. no matter if the labor is triple the cost or yes. whatever. Yes, yes, that's really rare, and I'm trying to t take advantage of that and letting my clients know a lot because like I have seen that because I see the policy sometimes, so I see a cap, and then I'll, sometimes I'll see something that says just yeah, nothing. sometimes that they have inflation guard, maybe four yeah. percent. Yeah. We have a rate code that for older generation homes uh, that's more than 30 years, we have 120, so which is 20% more than the replacement cost, so in case of. But if you have just a normal uh, home policy, I think it's my best recommendation is talk to your agent so they can do a home evaluation again and then just increase that replacement cost in case something happened. Yeah, interesting.
You mentioned uh, you used the word umbrella policy. Can mm -hmm. you just tell our listeners what, what is that for? Yeah, so umbrella policy is a good type of policy that pre preventing you from getting to a uh, legality issues if you have, which means you being sued by maybe either tenants or whoever that you're liable for. So like for example, somebody was on your property and they tripped and broke their leg or arm or something like that. Exactly. They, they could sue you for um, medical... Ne ne yeah, negligence. Or, 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 or yeah, if they're curbed, there was a bump in the curb yeah. or something like that. Mm -hmm. Normally that's beyond what insurance... Like, so the normal in home policy... So home policy, usually they have like certain limits. Uh, it's either 300000 500000 but umbrella will go all, all the way to one mil, two mil, four mil. Yeah. Okay, so if you have that umbrella policy, it'll prevent them from... Well, at least make it harder for them to go after all your other assets. So it's, I put it in the analogy is that you rather want a billion dollars company write uh, whoever that you're liable for a check other than your own pocket, you know, so. You said earlier, like if you had 10 different properties all under 10 different carriers and you had an umbrella policy, that policy may not cover policies that are not with that carrier? That yes, right? exactly. Yeah. So umbrella policies only cover under um, one roof. So it get kind of like umbrella, right? So mm -hmm. one umbrella and then it's have 10 other properties down here. You can extend the mm -hmm. liability limits to one mil, two mil, four mil, whatever that you desire. And uh, that's based on the, uh, the analysis that you do with your insurance agents. Um, so I would highly recommend people, if they own multiple property, have umbrella policy. I, I can tell you from a mortgage underwriting perspective, too, it's much, much easier when someone has all their property. If you have a lot of properties, if you have one carrier and an umbrella it's policy. It's so easy to work with, Way too. easier to underwrite. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's it's less paperwork. Less. It sounds yeah. a little bit um, counterintuitive, right? When you invest, you want to spread your eggs out. but. In terms of coverage, protection, you have to put all your eggs in your basket. Yeah, yeah I mean, there's kind of a couple schools of thought on that, right? Like yeah. insurance is, we'll say that's a great way to do it. An attorney might be like, oh, set up 12 different LLCs. Yes, you can right? do that too, yeah. Um, but you, in that situation, I think you could still have mm -hmm. an umbrella policy. Yes, that you one do, is going to... That would to be the, the ultimate tier, right? If you didn't yeah, of those so things. doing LLC and then have a commercial um, umbrella, mm. yeah, because... LLC is commercial, so. Right, okay, that makes sense. So we talked about replacement coverage. What are other types of claims that you've seen where, you know, it didn't get paid because there wasn't a right, you know, like a certain Yeah, right? so I think there's, a, there's one thing that I just keep running into and people are asking me a lot is wear and tear versus certain change or certain accident, mm -hmm. which one that uh, insurance company will, will cover. So wear and tear is something like like a drip pipe that you don't know, you may have missed it during the inspection, and then when you moved in or you move your tenants in, suddenly that that pipe is just keep leaking and then and just- it's rotting. Yeah, it's rotting everything. Yeah. Suddenly and you're replacing your siding for $40,000. Yes. So we draw the line for that is when we say, okay, so if your flooring was damaged because of that drip pipe, will replace the floor, but we're not going to replace the bike because that's wear and tear and that's your responsibility. 
versus um, something accidental, like sudden things happen. For example, like you're going through a storm and suddenly they riff off your roof and you know there's no roof anymore. So that will cover the entire thing because that's you know act of God. So yeah. the better I'm hearing what you're saying is that that slow drip that was happening, if it suddenly burst and became a yes, it's become yes, thing, exactly. So then it's, then it's Okay, we can cover it because it was unexpected. But mm -hmm. if it's just dripping and you don't really pay attention to it, that's kind of like your fault. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's just delayed maintenance. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So yeah. is there an optional rider for wear and tear? No, there's oh. no optional rider. Okay. Yeah. Uh, in in our region, um, you know, there's um, uh, we have a high probability, I guess I would say, to earthquake. Uh, now, yeah. is earthquake an automatically covered thing when you buy a home in Oregon? So uh, with earthquake, there's certain um, insurance company that qualify to offer it in-house. Some of them, they have to go through FEMA. Um, with us, we offer it in-house and it's not automatically. It's, and it's by the way, earthquake insurance is not required in our area. It's not, it's, it's not, not, yeah. It's not one of the required coverages. Yeah, yeah exactly. So. Um, it's not, uh, it's an optional coverage for mm -hmm. sure, but we do offer it in-house and it will give you a peace of mind, you know, in case earthquake. I, I use this analogy with my clients a lot. If your house just shifted five inches on the left, on the right, would you, would you be okay with it? Or would you want an insurance company will take care of it? You know, so that's a, an easy analogy. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I've seen earthquake riders be often like, pretty high deductible it is yeah so standard is 20 percent deductible mm. yeah which, a lot right which yeah I've, oftentimes if you're doing uh <laughs> you're making a claim for an earthquake it's going to be hundreds of thousands of dollars right yeah yeah so but not necessarily mm -hmm. yeah yeah so we have to go through um femas about that regulation so mm -hmm. we cannot go lower than i think there's some carriers that they can go as low as 10 percent okay but not the standard deduction that you see like 1,000. And are just like retrofitting your home for earthquake, like bolting it to the foundation, does that Im impact yeah. your rider? Or your I think so, yeah. So it's something that's reconstruct, uh, you know, like help to um, get your health better against earthquake. Yeah, so you've got certain discount for sure. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Um, yeah, I'll just say insurance is totally worth it, right? It's something you hope you never need, but when the time comes you do need it, you want to make sure you've got the right coverage. We had uh, an investment property we bought. Uh, uh, we used, you know, it was a it was a flip, or excuse me, not flip. It was um, off market through a wholesaler. And as we were going through the construction phase, the previous homeowner did some, uh, you know, unpermitted electrical work themselves, DIY stuff, um, and it sparked an electrical fire in the attic, basically, you know. And uh, you know, luckily it was a limited fire, but. You know, generally the most damage is caused by uh, the emergency services, right? They want to make sure that uh, they really smolder all the fire. Oh, and like the, the fire department came exactly. and, and sprayed they it down and, and just they spray ton of water everything, damage. Everything, <laughs> And here's actually something I didn't know, but you know, after the fire department comes, it's the homeowner's responsibility to dry up and mitigate as much as possible, right? Because if you just don't do it, right, and you leave that water sitting there, it's gonna create, of course, humidity and mold and yeah, other you get issues. those big fans and, in there, right? And then, yeah. Yeah. So yes. you, you gotta basically 
call one of those restoration companies to come out right away. Mm -hmm. So can you talk about any of those experience and recommendations for, for, for investors, homeowners who, who have these types of events? Yeah, so definitely um, if you're trying to venture yourself with the real estate investing world, I would say finding a good agent to talk and then trying to become... <laughs> I'm not saying me, but, you know, I can help. Um, but insurance agent, especially that, like, people that going through the same process, like, they also a risk investor. Um, they know exactly what uh, the client, their client's going through. So they, they will make sure that they have a good coverage, for example, like a policy for flippers, right? So flippers usually have to vacant the house for a certain period of time, maybe three to six months. You know, they have material in the house trying to fix it up and stuff like that, and suddenly they got vandalized or they, they got their stuff stolen. So regular homeowner policy will not cover that mm. event. So a lot of people, they kind of overlook. They can say, like, oh, we just buy a regular. Um, it's different type of risk. Yeah. So it, it's all about risk t uh, management, right? So when you actually calculate that type of risk, you will pay a little bit more on the premium side, but you have peace of mind, right? So usually with flipper policy, it's gonna be like two times more, but you only get you won't you only hold it maybe three six months, so it's not gonna you know kinda, I think break the bank for you. Yeah. But having a proper insurance for a different type of project that you're doing, if you are doing a a burr strategy, so you you so you still have a um, a builder risk policy in place while you are still fixing up the house, mm -hmm. and then once you fix them up the house, you invite tenants in that becoming a landlord or maybe a home protector policy, mm -hmm. which means it will only protecting the the structure, the house, and not the uh, personal property of the tenants. So they still have it. So. Yeah, a proper way to do, if you're talking about on, on the insurance perspective, if you do a bird project, is a builder risk policy while the house is getting remodeled, and then a home protector policy when you have a tenant coming in and they have a tenant policy. Mm. I think that's important, right? Because, you know, I, the, the average layperson would know that and just get a normal homeowner's policy while exactly. they're working on I, it. And yeah. then well, did you have a flipper policy when that happened? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've That's good. Majority of my properties I buy through and I use private financing and they require. Oh, they force you to. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. They don't. Okay. Exactly. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Does country do flipper policies? We do. Okay. Yeah. Good to know. Good to know. <laughs> awesome. What else? Um, what else do you would you think uh, would be be important or good lessons? And what you've shared already, I think, yeah, is well, phenomenal. What's the most common claim that you deal with? Believe it or not, it's water damage. Water damage from a broken pipe, like a frozen broken pipe? pipes or, or weather, um, or windows that water just sips in, mm. like through the sill. Um, I got a lot. Um, and then we got some... So we have a couple of houses... I have a couple of houses that I insure back in, in Bend. And we do have some fire um, claims uh, down there. It was very bad. And uh, I know for a certain um, carrier that they just stopped doing insurance at that area mm. 
because they just pulled out of the market. They just pulled it out. It's too much, too much risk for them. Yeah. But we've been in the market for so long. We understand the risk, and as as long as we underwrite it correctly, which means we don't have a lot of, uh, like for example, house on the tree is better than the house. Uh, I'm sorry, the house on the hill is better than the house downhill in terms of a fire. Mm. Yeah. So we usually insure houses up the hill. We kind of like a very conservative company. So I kind of like the more I work with country, the more I feel like. I found the sweet spot that I can actually, you know, giving solution for people. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. And um, yeah, what's your kind of sort of five-year goal or your short-term, mid-term goals? So um, mid-term goal is I think I'm trying to venture in um, doing maybe a midterm or yeah midterm rental for mm. for my next project okay instead of a instead of a normal yeah I, lease. all of my properties right now are just been long-term rental uh-huh. um so i want to try it out and see we uh we got some experience of doing short-term rental before but i partner with a business partner so okay. i'm learning the craft learning how to talk to uh guests learning to do a turnover and stuff like that but i feel like that's too much work mm-hmm. and Maybe we just have to do something midterm so we don't have to spend a lot of time and energy in it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So that's our midterm goal. And what about for the insurance business? Insurance business is, I'm um, pretty sure, is I'm trying to build up a team mm-hmm. that um, they basically will trying to help me to grow that book of business. And I'm trying to specialize in just real estate investing um, clients. Okay. So they may have a lot of needs for. Um, the financial side, uh, you know, um, maybe retirement accounts, uh, college funding for their kids, mm. and then um, focus more about life insurance and yeah. how do you uh, apply life insurance policy to kind of like be your own bank and then using that money to just funding your next deal and stuff like that. So I really passionate about that and I'm trying to put more focus on that once I build up my team and yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And if you were to recommend to somebody that was like just getting into thinking about getting into real estate, what would you suggest that they do to get started? I feel like um, I really like a saying. I don't know what this saying is from, but um, just with, with real estate, you need to buy and wait instead of wait and buy. <laughs> right. Love it. Right, it's so never a wrong time to buy, just a bad wrong time to sell. Exactly, like, you might have yeah. to wait. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you might have to wait. Yeah, so I feel like all of our properties right now, it's um, we got lucky that we got a few properties off market. We don't have to go into building wars and stuff like that. Um, we're going through some small projects for our du- uh, for our duplex, you know, just to fix it up so it can be rentable. Mm. Um, and we kind of like just learning slowly, learning the craft kind of like be better at what we do and also you know I still remember when I first got my rental property and I started to become a landlord I was so intimidating about that <laughs> you know like how to deal with tenants um, yeah luckily we have um, a lot of resources in area and you know I learned a lot from Tony as well that you know it's, it's just a step by steps right so totally yeah you just need to learn one thing at a time and just be good at it and yeah just I think that's that's uh, that's good. Awesome. Well, well, great. Thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate you sharing your time and knowledge with us. 
Yeah, definitely. I hopefully uh, our listeners picked up a few tips when uh, purchasing properties and where you should be looking at for proper coverage and insurance to really you know mitigate that risk, right? Because oh. things happen. Yeah, and if um, if any of our viewers want to contact you, what's the best way to um, find you? I'm trying to boost my um, online presence, so you can just search Quatrain at Country Financial. Okay. But um, I'll give the link to my website or my email. If you guys have anything that um, insurance related, I will be happy to help. Great. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thanks, Kwa. All right. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Realized Gains podcast. If you have any questions for our co-hosts or guests, don't hesitate to reach out. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or at jordanleemortgage.com.